Uh, we're kicking off a whole new sermon series today, We Belong Together, and we'll get into that in just a minute. Uh, but I want to celebrate today that we are beginning to make uh, some, uh, build some relationships with some of the businesses and, uh, and the leadership here in the Phillips Place community uh, where we're worshiping here at Regal Cinemas. And uh, excited to say that we formed a couple of partnerships uh, with uh, Upstream Restaurant, which is right here, Seafood Restaurant. They have a Sunday uh, brunch. Uh, and if we go in and tell them we're from our church this Sunday or any Sunday moving forward, uh, they will give us 10% back to our church to spend on our missions ministry. So we think that's a really cool partnership. Uh, yeah, I think we should give God some praise for that. And Dina and Luca, has, it's been gracious to let us have some small groups meet over there uh, after worship. And so they've decided to give us a 15% off discount on Sundays. Again, just tell them that we're here at church uh, and, uh, and they'll be glad to do that. And so uh, you can do that one of two ways. Out in the lobby, there is a, a little sheet of paper that's called Opportunities to Connect. It talks about things going on in the life of our church this week and it has a date on it. So you can pick one of those up. Or the easier thing is to take a picture of me uh, with this slide and say, I worshiped at Sharon today. And so if you want to go to Dean and DeLuca or Upstream, take a quick picture. Uh, if you don't want to break your camera, you can pick up that sheet of paper out in the lobby. Uh, but we are truly excited. That's part of our vision is to begin establishing relationships. And so it's more than about getting discounts or kickbacks to our missions. It's about being in the presence of folks and establishing relationships and eating together and meeting waiters and waitresses and other people that might be in the restaurant or at Dean and DeLuca. And so we're grateful to begin these partnerships and just would encourage you to take advantage of that. Uh, and just know that when you're doing this, we are called to represent Jesus uh, and to begin to get to know our neighbors. And so we're super excited about that. Before we jump in today, let me just invite you to join me in a moment of silent prayer that I would deliver God's word today that we would hear it and allow it to become part of our story. Uh, and I would just also, uh, again, encourage us to, uh, during this time to just say a quick prayer for all those affected by Hurricane Harvey uh, and also Irma as it continues to come into the U.S. today. So let's pray together. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I want to introduce you to a woman named Bernadine Travis. We have a picture of her. She is a resident of Houston, Texas. And her home, when what she has lived in for her whole life, even from her childhood all the way up to adult, and where she plans to live out the rest of her life as long as she possibly can, this woman uh, is just a magnificent woman. Uh, she also has some disabilities. Uh, and she lost her home. Uh, it was ravaged by floodwaters. And she has been dealing with a lot of stress and anxiety and grief over that. Uh, but she's also met some new friends who were formerly strangers to her and have given her new hope. And on the forefront of these are some United Methodists who are there in Houston, Texas, uh, from the United Methodist Committee on Relief. This is an international body within our denomination that started in the 1940s. And their mission is very simple, to relieve suffering, to relieve suffering. And so they're in 80 countries all over the world. Whenever there's something terrible that happens, like natural disasters or, or there's violence and people are, have to be relocated as refugees, the United Methodist Committee on Relief is there. 
And they're the first on the scene and they're usually the last to leave. And so Miss Travis here lost her home to these floodwaters. The United Methodist Committee on Relief came in, partnered with Habitat for Humanity, some other groups uh, in the community, and they have rebuilt her home. Now you might be thinking, that's a pretty quick turnaround. Uh, she lost her home in 2015 to floodwaters. And so the United Methodist Committee on Relief has been in Texas for quite a long time. They helped rebuild her home in 2016. And so now they're still there in Harvey. That's one of the coolest things about our denomination is we love people and we want to re relieve suffering. And so Harvey has been horrible and UMCOR has been there. And they've been there since at least 2015. And, and they set up relief shelters for people who are displaced. Over 15 uh, United Methodist churches in Houston have made their uh, sanctuaries and their buildings available. They're with the families when they have to go in and gut out their homes and, and try to salvage possessions. They're, they're with them as they begin to rebuild. And so as the national attention or international attention shifts to another uh, disaster, which it totally needs attention, the people from our denomination are still on the ground helping people when people have already forgotten about them. And every dollar that we give to the United Methodist Committee on Relief, 100% goes to help people uh, who need it. So it all goes 100% to give people relief. And so I'm just really proud to be a United Methodist, and I hope you are. And many of you have been giving to our church, and you can continue to do that. And just write Hurricane Harvey, Hurricane Irma on it. We'll get it to UMCOR, and they will go, and they will do their thing. We also have small groups in our church who are putting together hygiene kits or flood buckets uh, that UMCOR will deliver. We, I think they've already taken 133,000 from around the nation uh, to Texas of hygiene kits and over 20,000 flood buckets. Those were old statistics from last week. And so it's just really cool to see that lives are transformed for Christ, that we share our love with brothers and sisters who are formerly strangers and that we are doing this not just by putting some words out or saying prayers, which are very powerful. Don't want to take away from prayer, but we are the hands and feet of Jesus and we're making a difference. And so I just want to thank you for supporting our denomination and for being so loving as Christians. And I think this is really what God wants us to do, isn't it? To be known for our love, to be known as people who, wow, they will do anything to go help and relieve suffering, helping strangers and staying for years and, and just sharing the love of Christ with people. I think that's really what the church is supposed to do. It's the church at its best. Because, you know, when you think about it in the world today, the church isn't always known for our love. There are a lot of people in the world, there are a lot of people in our nation, our state, and our city who see the church in a completely opposite way. And we would ask them, well, what do you think about the Christian church? And and some would say, well, they seem to be closed-minded and very rigid, or they seem to be angry and divisive. And, uh, and, and a lot of people would say that the people who call themselves Christians are very judgmental. I was reading a, uh, um, a survey result. They interviewed several people around the nation who were aged 16 to 29, and they asked them, what do you think about the Christian church? What do you think about the Christian church in America? 90% of People from 16 to 29 in this survey, in this focus group said that Christians are judgmental. And they didn't mean it in a positive sense, in a self-righteous, I'm better than you, looking down our nose upon them, that Christians are judgmental. And that breaks my heart because 
There's some truth in that. Or 90% of these young people wouldn't be saying that. And so on the one hand, we've got, you know, the love of Jesus that we're known for. On the other hand, we've got the judgment of God that we're known for. And, and sometimes I wonder if, if we're not truly seeing the whole picture, both as people who follow Christ and, and people out in the world who look at the church. I think there's kind of two views of the church. I think on the one side, it is God is love, that God loves people and God forgives people and, and God is full of grace and goodness. And, but I think sometimes people focus on that so much that, that they, they forget about the accountability part. Right? We need to love people. We don't need to judge people. You know, yes, he's beating his wife, but bless his heart, God loves him. As if, right, there's, there's no need to get better. Right? So that's one way of seeing Christianity. The other side of it is that we're seen as judgmental, like hellfire and damnation. Right? If you don't follow these rules or, or you're not a good person or, or you don't do the right thing, well, by God, you're a sinner and you're going to hell and, and, and just all judgment, right? all accountability and no room for grace. No room for God's love, no room for God's forgiveness. And so it's kind of like we have these two polar opposites when really when you read the scripture, it's not an either or, it's a both and. That God does love us and he also loves justice, right? God does and is ready to forgive us and give us grace, but there's also accountability and, and God wants us to get better, right? But I, I think what happens here is we either polarize those two beliefs Right? We don't see the bigger picture. And so, yeah, God is love and, and God is justice. God is forgiving and God does hold us accountable. Right? God does meet us where we are, but God also wants something more for us in our lives that we can grow and we can become something more than who we are. But I think, at least the way I read Scripture, the way that I think the church is supposed to be is that while we have love and accountability and love and justice and grace and forgiveness and, and consequences, I think that God calls us to lead always with love first. That we always lead with the love of God first. When you think about it, right, that's what Jesus did. Right, I want to read from uh, the scriptures today uh, some good news from the Bible. And this talks all about what we're talking about. In John's Gospel, chapter 13, verses 34 through 35, these are the words of Jesus. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Right? Love more than an emotion. Love is more of an action, a self-giving. Like Jesus gave himself for us, we're supposed to be self-giving to other people. So Jesus leads with love. And if you think about it, that's what he did, right? Jesus, he hung out with people. He hung out with all kinds of people, the right kind of people and the wrong kind of people. And he always got a bad reputation for hanging out with the wrong kind of people, right? The prostitutes, the tax collectors, the, the Gentiles, the non-Jewish folks. But and Jesus loved everybody and he spent time with them and, and he ate meals with them and he fed them and he healed them. And, and, and Jesus led with love. But he, I mean, he also held people accountable. He had some tough teachings. He said, you've heard it said that murder's wrong. He says, but I say to you that it's just as bad to hold a grudge against somebody. He said, yeah, it's wrong to have adultery and, and, and affairs, but it's also just as bad to look at somebody with lust in your eyes. So it's not like Jesus sugarcoated the truth, but he wrapped it up in love. And it was given in relationships. And so, yeah, there's two sides, right? There's grace and there's, there's justice. But in the midst of all that, Jesus always led, always leads with love. 
So I guess the question I would ask us as followers of Jesus, what are we known for? As followers of Jesus, what are we known for? As individuals, as small groups within a church, as, as sharing United Methodist Church in our community, as United Methodist Church in the world, what are we known for? When people look at us and they see what we put on our social media pages or they, they see how we spend our time or they see how we spend our money, right? What are we known for? You know, a lot of people in our community know us for our architecture, right? We're the ski slope church and that's all well and good, but we want to be known for more than being some sort of architecture. We want to be known for a church that helps people who are hurting and who've lost their homes or who are going through broken relationships, right? As people of Christ, as Jesus followers, are we known more for judgment or love, right? What are we known for. So I really would encourage you to wrestle with that and to think about that as individuals and, and as, a, as small groups, as a congregation, as followers of Jesus, what are we known for? Judgmental, loving, somewhere in the middle. How does it, how does it all work? Now, I think one thing that Jesus was really known for in addition to his love was life transformation. Right? He came into the world to help us become something more to become who we were created to be in Christ, right? So the Bible says that all of us have been created in God's image. And that is a really good thing, right? We're creating God's image. We can love other people. We can help God be a, a creator in the world. We can do amazing things. We have all these gifts and abilities. We can just do lots of good things because we're created in God's image. So right, that, that's part of our DNA. But another part of who we are is that we rebel against God and we do things that we're not supposed to. And the Bible uses the word as sin. And so when we do that, we end up breaking relationships with God and we have broken relationships with each other because we don't always treat each other. We don't always treat God as we're supposed to, right? And so because of that, we, we experience consequences. We do something wrong, we experience guilt, we experience shame, we, we experience broken relationships. We, we, we're going to die one day because of this. And also the Bible says that we're separated from God, we're separated from each other, being in loving, personal, healthy relationships, and, and separation in the Bible is known as hell, right? So you don't have to die to go to hell, you can begin to experience that on earth. And so, so on the one hand, we're creating God's image. But then that image becomes stained with our sin and our guilt and our shame and our death and our hell, right? So that's why Jesus came into the world was to transform us, right? To get rid of the stain of sin, to get rid of the stain of death, to get rid of the stain of hell and to restore us in the image of God, which we've been created and which is so good. And so that's why Jesus came to transform us. That's why he died on the cross to take our sin and our guilt and our, our shame and our death and our hell upon him and, and to defeat it all and to come back to life to give us a chance to be forgiven, to give us a chance to, to have healed relationships, to give us a chance to know what love really is and to have inner peace inside of us even when the world around us is falling apart, to live life to the full, to live forever in the kingdom of heaven, right? God sent Jesus to transform our lives. And it's powerful, and we can see it all over Scripture. We see it in the Old Testament in the book of Ezekiel, where God says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I'll remove from you your heart of stone and, and give you a heart of flesh. And I don't know about you, but sometimes my, my heart feels like it's stone, right? That, that I'm just so tired of dealing with people. I, it just, I don't have the energy to love them. I've tried to love them, and they've rejected me. And man, I just close myself off to that. 
right? Or I become so focused on myself that it's left my, my heart is a heart of stone rather than being a heart of flesh where, where I love other people. And God says, I want to give you a heart transplant. I want you to love. I want you to feel loved. And if you've been burned before, I want you to, to have faith and to move forward and to love people. If, if you've loved only yourself, there's a whole other world out there. And I want to give you a heart transplant so that you can feel the joy of what it looks like to be in good, loving relationships with people. Paul says in the book of Romans, chapter 12, verse 2, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good and pleasing, perfect will, right? So God's saying, I want to transform your hearts, but I want to transform your minds. There's a lot of junk in the world. There's a lot of false beliefs. There's a lot of false teaching. There's a lot of fear and anxiety and stress and and that's not really what I intend for you. And so let me help transform the way that you think and the way that you see the world. I want you to see the world through my eyes, that I created it, that it's good, and that there's so much potential and that you can be a part of something bigger than who you are. God says, let me transform your hearts and transform your minds. And then Paul says this in Colossians chapter 1, verses 21 through 23. Once you were alienated from God, and we're enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, right? We're far from God because we sometimes mess up. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant, right? Jesus came to die and to come back to life so that, that our wrongdoing can die and we can be born again, right? We can have new life in Christ and, and we can receive the forgiveness. We can receive the joy and the love and the life to the full and, and the everlasting life, right? When we just accept it and believe in it. It's God's gift to us. And we say, I want it that God. I want to turn away from this, this life without you. Please forgive me and come in and be my Lord and Savior. God is ready to transform our lives because we serve a God who's in the life transformation business. Jesus came to transform us. Right? And we can see it. We can see it in real life. We can see it in the Bible, real life in the past. You, there's a guy in the past named Saul, right? He's living just uh, in the time of Jesus and Jesus has gone back into heaven and the Christian church is coming out of the Jewish uh, faith. And, and so Paul, or this guy named Saul, I'm giving away my answers here, right? Saul, <laughs> right? Saul, he's, he's a faithful Jewish guy. He believes in like our Old Testament and he loves God and and, and he tries to follow the laws of the Old Testament, like 613 laws. He's trying to do all that. And he sees this Christian movement as an aberration, right? It's this false teaching that's risen out of the Jewish faith. And he's like, how is this happening? And so right, he thinks it's his personal mission to go after Christianity. He's like, we can't do this. This is wrong teaching, guys. You're, you're going off the path. And so he just makes it his mission in life to go after Christianity. Right? And so he arrests Christians and, and some Christians are killed because of him. And wherever they go, right, he's following. Right? And so people are scared to death of this guy. Right? He's got this just zealousness about wiping out the Christian church before it can even get started. And, and he's going one day down a road and, and all of a sudden this bright light comes on and he hears this voice that says, Saul, what are you doing? Why are you persecuting me? And he's like, who is that? I can't see you. And it says, it's Jesus calls Saul out and he causes him to physically be blinded and, and he sends him away and he sends someone to come and, and meet with him and, 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 to, and to heal him his eyesight and, 
and Saul sees Jesus for who he is and it changes his life. Right? Formerly, right, he, he was far from Jesus. He thought he was on the right path, but he wasn't. And so Jesus came into his life, right? And he had this conversion experience and, and he you know, literally was blind. He was you know, metaphorically blind, but now he's, 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 he can see. On fire for Christ, and he, he starts churches all over the area, all over the world, and he writes most of the New Testament. Some of the passages we read today were written by him. Right? He he's no longer known as Saul; he's known as Paul because his identity has changed, and he is a new man. Right? He's had this defining moment where his life was transformed by God, by Jesus Himself. Brothers and sisters, that's why Jesus came—not just for Saul, but for us. So that we can receive that same life transformation, that same defining moment when we give ourselves to Christ. And for some of us, it's a dramatic experience like, like Saul. Maybe you remember that you're sitting in the back of the church and, and, and you heard a message so convincing that you, know, you were digging your fingernails in the pew and you gave your life to Jesus. Or you know, maybe you found Christ you know, on some retreat somewhere. Or maybe some of us have been in the church our whole lives and, and we can't really track down the moment in time where we gave our life to Christ, but He is our Savior. And we've had a defining transformational moment where we're dead to sin and we're alive to Jesus. And if you haven't had that yet, then I encourage you to open your heart because it will change your life, right? The defining moments. But it doesn't stop there. You know, some people think, wow, I've had my conversion experience, right? That's awesome. But what's sad to me is, is a lot of people can't tell any story after that experience about how God has worked in their life. That's just when God begins to go to work in our lives. One of my former churches that I served, I was leading a small group. It was an intensive study of the Bible called Disciple Bible Study. And you dig in the Bible for like 30 some weeks and you go deep. And it's a group of about 10 or 12 people. And you really get to know people in that group. And, and we were meeting in people's homes and, and we had a, a main host. It was a husband and wife. And uh, they're just an awesome family. Uh, they're just very supportive of the church and they love God and very successful in the business world and all that kind of stuff. They just opened their house up to us, very gracious host and just very meek and mild people. And, and, and one night when we were talking about something in scripture, uh, the husband, his name was Terry, he absolutely blew us away. He began to talk about how he struggles with anger issues and like what? Who are you talking about? Because he's like the most meek and mild person that you and me. He's like, oh yeah, right. I, I, I have had some major anger issues in my life. Right? I, I would just jump off. I would go off at anything. And my family was just, they would walk on eggshells around me. They were scared because I would just erupt sometimes. They could say something like, nice shirt. It's not a nice shirt. How dare you say that, right? Just had all this pent up frustration and anger inside of them. He said, yeah, we used to go to restaurants and I would get mad. I'd take my big glass that I'm drinking out of those big, thick glasses. I'd just hurl it at the wall and, and smash it all over the place. People were scared to death of me. I was major issues. It was hard for me to, to, to have healthy relationships in my life. And I was estranged from my family a lot. And I said, Terry, what in the world happened? How'd you go from that to this? He said, Jesus. My life to Jesus. He's like, I was reading the Bible one day. I started going to church. I started worshiping. I started praying. I started getting some help, right, for this, this issue. Because I began to realize this is not who God created me to be, right? He had the conversion, the, the life-transforming conversion, defining moment, but, it, but God still continued to work in his everyday life. And I can just imagine 
You know, the, the struggle and, and the joy that he received, you know, every time that he felt that anger welling up inside of him. And the next time he was at the restaurant, he was mad. He's grabbing that glass and he's wanting to throw it, but he's not going to throw it. You know, it's just to see Jesus working on his heart. Right? It's, it's salvation. Absolutely. It's that salvation moment. But it's those everyday moments where God continues to work on our lives and transform us. Brothers and sisters, what's your story, right? What is that? How have we allowed God to transform us? How have we allowed God to transform us? Because that's what it's about. God is in the life transformation business, right? What is your story? What's our story? Right? What are the ways that God has transformed us? Right? And when you think about it theologically, there's two terms that we use, justification and sanctification. Right? Justification means to be made right. right? It, it's, it's a point in time. It's where Jesus saves us. It's where we're born again. It's where we pray the sinner's prayer. God, I'm far from you and I'm tired of it and I'm sorry and I invite you to forgive me. I believe in you. I believe in your son, Jesus. I want you to come in and and live in me, right? It's the point in time where we accept the gift that God gives us through Jesus, right? And again, for some of us, that's an emotional, strong, powerful moment. For some of us, we've always been a follower of Christ and it's harder to pinpoint the time, but there's a decision that's been made, Right? Jesus saves us through justification. And then sanctification is what happens the rest of our lives. God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit comes upon us. right, And it helps us become more like Jesus. Sanctification means to be made holy. What it means is the rest of our life, God continues to transform us like my friend Terry. Right? He gave his life to Jesus. His salvation was assured, but he still struggled with anger. Right? And so the sanctification process was part of his story to help him overcome that. Justification, sanctification. How have we allowed God to transform us? Because that's what it's all about. Right? It's relationships and transformation. And once we've received this transformation, once we've received this love of Jesus, we're not supposed to keep it to ourselves. Right? It's an internal thing but it becomes an external thing. Jesus wants us to share it with as many people as possible. The people that we work with, the people that we go to school with, the people that are in Philip's place here, that eat in the upstream restaurant, in the Dean and DeLuca restaurant, right? Wherever we are, God wants us to share the good news of his love and his transforming power because he wants everyone in the whole world to be transformed by the power of Jesus Christ. Do you know that today, in the world, 22,000 children will starve to death. 22,000 children will starve to death. 917 of them will die in the time that we've been in this space worshiping together. Now, I don't know about you, but that sickens me. It makes me mad as hell. Excuse my language. 22,000 children, 917 of them will die in this hour. I want you to say with me, not today. today. 22,000 children will die, not Not today. today. You know why? Because we believe in the transforming power of Jesus Christ. 
And after we have two worship services in here today, we're going to go over to Sharon Presbyterian Church right down the street, less than a mile away. And we're going to join together with our Presbyterian brothers and sisters from South Park. And we're going to, we're going to pack 20,000 meals that we're going to send around the world. And we're going to save 20,000 lives today because we love God and we're in the life transformation business. Amen. Now, I want you to imagine... Yeah, you can give God some glory for that, people. That is good news. 22,000 people. I want you to imagine if it was your child or your grandchild or the child that you teach or the child that lives next to you in the development that would die today. And someone came in that you didn't know and said, I would like to feed your family today. Well, what, what do I need to do? Nothing. Receive this gift. Why are you feeding my family? Because God loves you. Right? What if you were that person? What if that was your child, your grandchild, your neighbor, the child that you teach in school, the child that you see on the, on the street or in the mall or playing on the playground? Right? You talk about life transformation. You saved my child's life. I'll do whatever you ask me to do. That is incredible, right? And, 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 and why did you do this? Because God loves you. Tell me more about this God. Beautiful thing about the group that we're working with, Rise Against Hunger, they're Christians and they're going to go in. They're going to say, here's food. We want you to feed your family. Why do you want to feed my family? Because Jesus Christ loves you. Who is this Jesus? Let me tell you about him. He can change your world. He can change your life. He can transform everything that there is to know about you. Brothers and sisters, how do we transform the lives of people? How do we help transform people's lives? That's a big calling. How do we help transform people's lives? So I want to put these three questions up on the screen. Three questions I encourage you to think about and pray about. Take a picture of it. Write it down. Whatever you need to do. As Jesus followers, what are we known for? Is it our love? Is it our transformation? Or is it our anger and our hate and our divisive and our judgmental attitudes? How have we allowed God to transform us? Have we been transformed? Have, have we had that life-altering salvation moment? How is God continuing to transform our everyday lives, right? He meets us where we are, but he wants something more for us, right? How, how have we allowed God to do that? And how are we helping to transform the lives of people? Right? We're going to feed 20,000 people. That's incredible. We're going to go into Dean and DeLuca and upstream, and we're going to try to share the love of Jesus with them. What about the people that you work with or the people that you live beside or, or the people that you go to school with or, or even the people that drive you absolutely crazy? How are we going to try and help transform their lives? Right? I think God wants us to be known for, for love. I think God also wants us to be known for stories of life transformation. What's your story? What's your friend's story? What's your family member's story? And how have you helped to shape that? I really think that God, as we think about what does it mean to be rich in life in Jesus Christ, right? Our, our, our vision is to lead people to life rich in Christ, right? What does that look like? I think it means that we tell a lot of stories of life transformation and that they're real. And what's happened to us and what's happened to other people have real life consequences. I want to introduce you to a couple here. Uh, we got a picture of them up on the screen. Uh, really sweet couple. They've been married for 75 years. Most of us will be lucky if we live to be 75 years old. They've been married for 75 years. They live in the state of Washington. The husband here is 104 years old, and his wife is 92. 
That's 196 years of life experience. Sweet, sweet family. You know what's really interesting? His name is Harvey and hers is Irma. Now, on the one hand, when we hear Harvey and Irma, we think of awful devastation. And there's been some terrible devastation. People have lost their lives. They've lost their homes. They've lost everything. And it's going to get worse today. It's coming now into our, our, our nation. It's going to happen. It's in Florida right now, right? So on the one hand, when, when, when people hear Harvey and Irma for the rest of their lives, some people are going to hate those names. And rightly so. But then you look at Harvey and Irma, who've been married for 75 years, 196 years of experience between them, and it gives us a different picture of what Harvey and Irma can be. That it's good everyday people, good loving people, and that there is goodness in the world, and, and that in the midst of the devastation of Harvey and Irma, right, that, that there can be the United Methodist Committee on Relief, there can be Habitat for Humanity, there can be good things that happen, and, and we can transform the way that we see these names from being something horrible to something good. And I think that's our role as a church. I think that's your role. I think it's my role. The, the world a lot of times sees us as harsh and judgmental and hypocritical. And they need, us, need, they need to see us for who we really are, for the love of Jesus and for the life transformation stories that are going on. Like Miss Travis, who is in Houston, who has a new home because the United Methodist Church cared about her. Like a man named Saul who persecuted Jesus until he... He met Jesus in person, and then he did everything he could to serve Jesus the rest of his life. Like my friend Terry, who had anger issues, and he struggled with that until he let Jesus Christ get a hold of him. Like the 20,000 children that we're going to save today by feeding them and giving them a chance to get to know Christ, right? That's what it means to be the church. That's what it means to be known for our love and to be known for stories of life transformation. That is our challenge. That is our call. That is why we belong together. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.